This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Hey everybody, thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sorrentos, Editor-in-Chief and host here on the Chicago Podcast Network, and I am joined over the interwebs and Skype by my good buddy, AJ Signeri. AJ, say hello to the people. Hey, people. There he is, doing his thing. Uh, so, we forego the normal introduction where I set everything up. We forego our normal production procedure and just kind of open the mic and start talking so aj buddy how you doing i'm all right how are you i'm good have you gotten any feedback on our alex jones episode i thought i did um i thought there was like a glimmer of hope that one of alex jones's um minions like latched on to it but it was just nothing more than just someone bsing with me Oh, well, I got a couple people who got angry and threatened to hurt me, which was nice. <laughs> hey, I like it. It means that I did something right. So right. There's that. Um, so I'm trying to think about, man, it's just, you know, it's the we're open mic say things kind of show. How are you? Have you heard this ridiculous story out of Rio with uh, Ryan Lochte and the other swimmers? How This just weird, weird story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I've. It's weird in the sense that I've heard like other incidences before at other Olympic Games, but this one was like a little bit more obscure than what I think is led on to believe. Well, it's not often that somebody lies about being mugged uh, so they don't get in trouble for a bar fight or actually a gas station fight. Right. I mean, and, um, a guy I, I follow, um, Dave Zern. He writes for the nation and mostly about sports and everything. And I think he kind of summed it up best where he says, you know, um, Ryan Lackey and his friends check every box for Brazilian frustration. Um, They're from the U.S. They're Olympians. They give off a certain appearance. And they originally accused Brazil police of robbing them. And... It's just nothing more than, like, people in Rio are just upset that the Olympics are happening because of, you know, police corruption that has gone on in Brazil for decades, if not close to a century. Um, But I would give them at least 20 20 years of police corruption and everything. And then you had the Olympics. And then before that, you had the World Cup in Brazil. And people just didn't like it. And then here you have Ryan Lockey and his friends being the poster child of everything wrong. So people took frustration out, out on them. Did you... Well, they're taking their frustration out, but there's also... I mean, let, let's be honest, man. I mean, you, you, you go into a foreign country that is having all this reputation and everything, and then you lie about something horrible happening to you, it's, it, it's, to me, it's just a weird story because I can totally understand how this got out of control for those guys so fast. You come back late at night. You apparently get, his mom apparently asked him why he was back so late. And you right. make up a quick story just so you can go to bed because you're either drunk or you're screwed up. We got a mug, guy, but like it's no big deal, everything's fine. And then your mom goes and tells everybody because she's your mom and she's worried. And like my mother would go ape shit on all of Brazil if that had happened to me. 
And the next thing you know, it's like this huge international story. And Ryan Lochte is apparently the only one who's smart enough to go, you know what? This is not going well. I'm going to get my ass on a plane and get back to where I belong. Right. And the rest of them stayed there because they want to hang out and party and do all the stuff. And, you know, it just it got out of hand quickly. And, you know, sometimes you tell a lie and, you know, you get caught. It's it's one of those things that it's it to me. It's amusing. It's not really a story. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just one of those things. Because here's the truth. Everybody believed it, which it's, to me, the equivalent of, I'm, I'm trying to remember recently, which the, the other example of it, which they did a story about, oh, come on, my brain is stopping to work. The The idea of who the victim really is here, and in the, it's like, okay, uh, recently the Cubs had an incident with a DJ who played Prodigy's Smack My Bitch Up mm-hmm. when Araldis Chapman came out to pitch. And if you follow the news story, it was, oh, this DJ is an idiot. Oh, this DJ is so insensitive. Oh, this guy needs to be fired. And I just love the idea that we live in a world where the DJ is the bad guy, not the guy who hit his wife. Right. The DJ is the bad guy because he made a joke because he was kind of like, hey, you know, don't forget that this is what this dude is. And like, smack my bitch up. That's my techno sound. Right. And it, it just goes out of control. And in an instance with the Ryan Lochte thing, the problem with this story is a bunch of people have been robbed. And, yeah, one dude made it up to cover something up. But the fact that everybody believed it until the evidence comes out says that there's something more wrong with your country than just swimmers can make shit up. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I got a kick out of it. I, I just It's one of those stories that I find more amusing as time has gone on just due to the fact that you're, you're watching it. You're just going, are you, are, you out of, are you serious with this? And it's, it's, it's been very funny to me. Well, that's why, you know, when Rio was announced um, to be the Olympic site, um, I was – you know, also upset because, you know, Brazil's not the country that I would have chosen. I mean, he had other options, but I didn't want it to be in Chicago either. Um, but, that, but but that was least, selfish. What? That was, you didn't want it here because you're being selfish. No, I just don't want it here. I didn't want Chicago, period, because it, it would have been a train wreck. Let's be honest. Well, um, I, yeah. In, in a financial disaster for the city and the county also. And and let's just, I mean, as much construction as is happening here every summer, could you imagine plus trying to build a bunch of new buildings and, and housing? Well, that's the thing. It's like when Chicago was on the bid and everything, and I started asking people, like, where are you going to put stuff? They go, well, this can go here, that can go here. And I go, so what about tourism what about people working they go well we can work around them like we barely work around when the bulls play at night yeah how can can we work around you know uh several sporting events happening (laughs) a cubs night game shuts down the city on the on the eden's expressway right so i mean we can't (laughs) even do that how can we even you know manage like at least five sport events going on at the same time you know, I mean, at this point, though, you'd almost wish that they had done it because then you could have just canceled White Sox baseball for the season and uh, turned the cell into you know, track and field place. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they would have had to close Sox games, Cubs games, 
Um, I don't know about preseason football, but I think that would have been a factor at some point. Um, United Center would not would just be used all couple of weeks of the Olympics and everything. It was just been a disaster, and you know uh, I was one of those people who was organizing against it and everything, and it was just mind-boggling that people are like well no we need this in chicago i'm like but you don't understand what's going to happen when we have it in chicago i'm not even talking about just you know for selfish traffic purposes i'm talking about the economic factor that it will put chicago and cook county in debt and we've seen that with other cities who have held the olympics that they're still trying to survive um the debt they incurred when it comes to the olympics when they hosted it yeah, and if people are interested in that topic, I really recommend there's an episode of HBO's Real Sports mm-hmm. um, that was 85 minutes long, and it was all dedicated to just this issue. Um, so if you want to learn more about what the Olympics do to towns and really just how they're on the same level of level of level as FIFA in forms of just evil corruption and not caring about what they do to local communities check out the hbo real sports from uh, i think about a month ago uh and it's it's truly fascinating watch and it's a really good piece that they did well yeah there's that one and there's an article i think this came out today some simply say you know what happens after the olympics and they were talking about venues that were specifically built for specific events and everything and they just sit there and sit there and it was it's a it's one of many articles that are really good at showing people that impact but i would you know have that and reinforce it with like actual professional venues that are being built and when the sports team or the tour event starts that venue just sits there until it just crumbles or they turn into something else or what have you it's just one of the things that irritates me about you know sports management in and itself is that you we build facilities because we like the teams that are in our area and everything but what we don't uh, we don't do a good job of you know converting them back to the community and trying to you know, reinvent something or create something for the community in order for it to be utilized for a better future. But we, I've seen venues that sit there. I've, there's like one tennis stadium in Indianapolis is still sitting there. And it used to be one of the major tennis events in the United States. And it's no longer there. And it just sits there. And they don't do anything about it. And it's taxpayer money just being eaten away. There's a, there's a reporter. He's now on uh, HBO. But he used to be on ESPN. His name is Bill Simmons. And yeah. Bill Simmons talks about this issue a lot. And he's got some points. He's actually had a, a Malcolm Gladwell on his podcast to talk mm-hmm. about this. And the idea that taxpayers are flipping the bill for billionaires to build these stadiums is ridiculous. Especially since after the stadium is built, they get massive tax cuts on anything that takes place within the building. So it becomes, not only are you paying for it, you're never paid back for it uh, as a taxpayer for these buildings being built. Then uh, the issues that you're talking about with the building standing still, uh, I, I understand, for the record, building a new stadium in a city because... 
having a pro football team, a pro baseball team, pro basketball team is very important to a city's identity. It, it, it really, it really does not only drive tourism, but here's an example: Kansas City is not a city. Like, we're from, I'm from Chicago. You're from Chicago area. It's not a city like we think of as a city. It's not New York, L.A., Miami, Los Angeles, uh, or uh, San Francisco. It's a much smaller town. But it's considered up there because it has a pro baseball team and a pro football team. That matters. They're in the conversation. So that is important. But when you're talking about billionaires spending all uh, taxpayer money to build facilities to line their own books, I, not only do I have a problem with it, it just feels fundamentally wrong. But going even further, you're talking about the Olympics and them you know, leaving buildings unused. I'm going to Athens in 12 days. And Athens built in 2004 a whole lot of new sports facilities to host the Olympics. But the one that they, they tend to focus on are the baseball and softball stadiums. Because, shocker, Europeans don't play baseball and softball. So this stadium just sits there, empty. All year long, and it costs. It was costing maintenance. And when Greece had the budget crisis, one of the first things they cut was maintenance at these Olympic facilities. So you go through there, and apparently these things are ripped to pieces. It's one of the things I really want to go check out while I'm there is to see the abandoned, you know, Olympic facilities because I find that fascinating. But the best example is actually still in Brazil from last world, the last World Cup, which there are, I believe, they built five stadiums, if, you, if I remember correctly, AJ, yeah. in the country, and three of them have not been used since the World Cup ended. No, and one of them is like in a remote part of Brazil, too. Yeah, that you can't access by road. You can only access it by river, and it's currently being used as a bus storage facility. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And then you got, and this all leads back to, you know, all of this horrible shit is going on, but let's focus on Ryan Lochte lying about being robbed. Well, I mean, there's, there's that what you're talking about. And, you know, if, you, if we can go further with the Kansas City thing, we, just can, we can only go 90 miles north of us in Milwaukee where you have a town that is really a second-tier sports town. And as such, you know, they have the Bucks, they have the Brewers, they have a adequate um, AHL team. Um, but when you have a county and a governor who is putting TIF money so that the Bucks can have a bigger and better stadium, which all the money gets taken from the taxpayers to fund this new basketball arena, um, that's a problem too. Because, I mean, again... I love Milwaukee. I consider Milwaukee like my second home. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a problem when you have a team that's not even a Final Four um, NBA team or even a Sweet 16 NBA team. You know, I mean, they have good players. I like um, They're fun to watch. But when you're building a stadium because you think that's going to be the motivator to have the kind of basketball program Milwaukee needs or having more um, sporting events in there or having possibly an NHL team in Milwaukee, uh, I just don't think that's going to be the factor. I think the, the, the only way, and I still feel, to grow your sports team is to actually grow a home 
sports team and not be this corporate sports business where you have to have the biggest, baddest, state-of-the-art facilities. You need to have the next um, sports science staff and everything, um, all that. But I'm still going to cheer on, you know, the underdog team because, you know, they're the ones who are going to have more pride in their team than the more funded sports team. No, see, you're wrong. You root for Chicago teams. You don't root for the Cubs. And you root for the. I'm not saying I'm rooting for the Cubs. You shouldn't root for the Cubs. They're an evil organization founded by Satan to dissuade us. I, I will root for the Brewers over the Cubs any day. Well, yeah, they're the Brewers. I would also root the Brewers over the Sox any day. Well, you can go to hell and die. <laughs> See? It's very simple. See? It's okay for the Cubs. Sox, not so much. Yeah, damn right. I actually had a conversation with my friend, because this is an open mic and say things show. You'll enjoy this. I was trying to explain to my buddy Dave last night how to how much I hate the Cubs. Because he's one of those people who just cannot fathom that I actively root against them as much as I do. And he's like, well, you don't really care. I'm like, Dave, I swear to God, if a, if a genie popped out of a bottle and said, we will take your left hand, but... The Cubs will never win the World Series. I would make that sacrifice. And then he pushed it. He goes, what about your vision? And I really had to think about it. And I figured out what the line is. I don't ever want to go blind. If I had to go blind to keep the Cubs from winning the World Series, that is the one thing, like, blind, deaf, dumb are, like, the only thing, paralyzed. Those are the things that would make me be, okay, I'll let the Cubs win the World Series if that were to happen to me. But anything else, you want to take off one of my feet, you want to take off an arm, and the Cubs will never win the World Series as long as I live. I can deal with that. That's a perfectly acceptable sacrifice to me. I I don't go that far. But I do. I, I go that far. I'd even subtract one eye. You could take one eye. See, I'm just waiting for the day that there's going to be a cross-town World Series in Chicago. It's never going to happen. The White Sox will never It will happen. happen. Statistically, it will happen. Um because it has to happen. Because and if it doesn't, then statistics is a farce. Um, then if the ha- when it happens, will you ever leave Chicago if the Cubs win? If the Cubs twice in a row, I mean, if the, leave Chicago if they twice in a row. AJ, like if, if this year, if this year, the Cubs are one win away from winning the World Series at like Game Five, like if they're going into Game Five three one in the World Series. Not only am I leaving town, I'm locking myself in somewhere where I have no cell phone reception, no internet connection, and I'm going to disappear for five days. I'm not even, that's not even, like, people think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Because I live with the Cubs fans, a lot of my best friends are Cubs fans, and I have spent a lifetime spreading hate, and I will not take it back, you understand? I, I will not. So I am going to leave town. I want nothing to do with it. I hate the Chicago Cubs. I am perfectly comfortable with my hatred. I don't feel I have to explain it to anybody. I don't feel that I owe anyone anything with so that. So if, if my, my friends and I drag you to Wrigley Field. It's not going to happen. Honestly, it's going to happen. No, literally, have, when you have, say drag, when you say drag, you literally mean drag. When I say drag, I mean three of my Brock Lesnar-sized friends. Look, just because you grow up near dairy farms where people plow their own fields does not mean, look, you're not going to get me into Wrigley Field for anything other than a White Sox game that's there against the Cubs 
or a concert. Other than that, I am not going to a Cubs game. I'm not. I, I will not. And if you if you manage to get me in there, I'm gonna figure out a way to embrace my inner ISIS and blow the hell of the building up. I do hate the ha- Chicago. Do we have to go that far. We do have to go that far. People need to understand how far my hatred truly goes. And every day that I turn on my my sports radio that I used to love to listen to, and all I can hear are assholes talking about how great the Cubs are. I die inside. I die every day a little bit when the Cubs are this good. I I I I. I, I I, I'm Lewis Blacking right now. I can't finish a sentence to express my anger. I hate I'm, them. I hate I'm them so you. much. I and that like... stupid shade of blue and that ugly red and their stupid weedy-ass outfield, that's called weeds. Those are weeds, and they're bad for the grass. That's how you really feel about it. I, I don't have any strong feelings about the Cubs whatsoever. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just waiting for the day that you. I might drop dead. I might drop dead of a heart attack, like when the, Cubs, the Cubs with the Cubs win the World Series. That might happen from like a broken heart. Like I'm just gonna die, and I'll be okay with it. And then if if by some luck I manage to get, you gonna be okay of you dying if the Cubs win. I don't want to be alive for the aftermath, man. And people are like, oh, because the city's gonna burn. I said, no, I just don't want to get phone calls from my friends. I don't want them calling me. I don't want them talking to me. I don't want to spend the next 10 years of my life hearing about how great it was when the Cubs won the World Series. I don't. I don't, I don't well, want to hear that's, that's, that's gonna happen. It's not going to be 10 years. It's for the next 100 years. Which is bullshit because we won the World Series before they did. Both times, I might add. Well, that's fine. But for every year the Cubs have not won a World Series is that many times the Cubs can brag about winning the World Series. I they did get- I, I, I did have an argument with my mom, my, not an argument, a conversation with my mom where I realized that theoretically the World Series tends to end usually in the first week of November. Yes. So if the Cubs were to win the World Series on like November 3rd, the election is November 8th. And I'm going to tell you right now that if the Cubs no, win the World Series, if you're say that the Donald Trump is going to win. Donald Trump is going to win the election. And then three days later, the world's going to blow up and everything will be fine. I will vote for Donald Trump if the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. Not because I think that Donald Trump will be a good president, because it will get us one close, one step closer to just ending this all. So you are willing to sacrifice everyone, everyone, this, this, this planet. Yes. Wow. Yes. And anyone who disagrees with me, fuck Have you. Have we talked about how much of a nihilist you are? No, I didn't think that I was. I, isn't oh, a nihilist I, I, a person I, I, who has an absence of belief? You have a core of nihilism within you. Is it, isn't a nihilist someone who believes in nothing, Lebowski? No, nihilism is the notion that you know everything can be needs to be destroyed, and there's like no heartfelt emotion over it. Are you saying the Big Lebowski lied to me? Uh, the well, the Big Lebowski didn't lie to you. The Big Lebowski kind of just <laughs> expanded the truth, the definition of what nihilism is. That's bullshit. Because Flea and the Russian dude from Armageddon just kept yelling how they they believe in nothing, Lebowski. I know it's misleading. It is a little misleading, especially from Flea. I'm just saying, and he, he knows better. He was needles in Back to the Future two and three. He he was. I always like to remember that that Flea had an acting career. The world is a strange place. I don't uh, know why you would sacrifice this planet. 
I hate of, them for Cubs one. I I don't care. I hate them so much. I don't care. I don't want to live on a world where that's happened, and my life will be. I nothing. don't like Detroit Red Wings. I don't like. I don't live with Red Wings fans. I don't live with Packers. I don't fans. live with Red Wings fans either. But if they win, but that's um, different. See, that's I the difference. Punch a Red Wings fan. That's the difference, though. You don't live with them every day, okay? I do. And people know how I feel about the Cubs. My grandmother and I are the only White Sox fans left, I believe, who truly don't want the Cubs to ever do anything. And I swear to God, everyone's like, yeah, but don't you for a Chicago team? And I have to keep explaining, no, absolutely not. The hell with them and the hell with you for thinking that that's okay. I, I don't want them to win. I don't want anything to ever – listen, there are no circumstances that you can put in front of me that will make me okay with the Cubs winning the World Series. Not a single one. World peace is not good enough for the Cubs to win the World Series. Better that we end a nuclear holocaust than we actually have a happy world with the Cubs winning the World Series. But what if the Cubs win radiates love and peace? It's, it's a fake love and peace. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> It doesn't mean anything because it's still an arrogant what do you love. It doesn't mean anything. It's when an the, arrogant love. Oh, really? Red because Cubs won. Fans, what do you think? A that the, lot of things were good in Boston ever since. What do you What do you think? The Cubs are going to win the World Series, and suddenly they're going to be nice to White Sox fans. They're not no, nice to them when now. When the Cubs win, there's going to be no more police crimes. <laughs> there's not going to be no corruption. It's going to be this nice place in Illinois once again. I, I really am thinking about taking this conversation to someplace really offensive, considering <laughs> the world that we live in right now. And I think it's best that we just do you accept that I hate the Chicago Cubs? I've always I've always accepted it. Okay. I, I'm just always intrigued of the level. How, how far? Yeah, trust me. There's a level. There's a level I could it. take this to right now. Involved. Listen, and further. Dark, AJ, I swear like, to God, there's there's a bunch of jokes. In, we need to change topics. That we need we need to change topics because in my head right now are a lot of jokes involving the Black Lives Matter movement as it relates to the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series and things whoa, whoa, that I am whoa, willing whoa, to step. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, so we're just gonna change topics and talk about Larry Wilmore. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Because trust me, you don't want to go where my brain went on like jokes that I could make about things that I'm willing to accept um, in my own life. As far as that, and, and and there's a level too far. So we're just gonna let's move on to Wilmore because you and I actually had a point of contention this week on Monday, and I wanted to get into well, it. I didn't. You did, but I okay. didn't. Have, no, it's well, no, not a contention, but just a. You know, we can have a discussion. So let's have this discussion. We set it up a little bit online. For those of you who don't know, uh, the nightly show with Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore is a former correspondent on the Daily Show with John Stewart, who left with when John Stewart had not yet announced that he was leaving. They he left Daily Show, went to set up his own show, the Nightly Show, to immediately follow the Daily Show. Stick with me; I know it's, it sounds weird. And he's had the show, I think, now for eighteen months. It's been, in my opinion, a relatively good show. It came though at the worst possible time because once he got that show up and running john stewart decides to leave colbert starts his show at cbs in direct competition with his old time slot and it never really had the opportunity to fly just based to a bunch of circumstances around it but when the announcement came down on monday that they were canceling the show 
you had a different thought process than just ratings. Would you care to expound on that before we go any further? All I, all I really expounded on is, you know, I announced the cancellation of um, Larry Wilmore's show. And all I simply stated that I think there's more than meets to eye, the eye on this one. And my good friend across the screen here. The illustrious uh, cohort and compatriot. Who insinuated that I was implying race. I thought you were. Were you not implying race? It's a, it's a probably one-tenth of what I said. It's not the complete thing, but it's one-tenth of it. All right, well then f- explain to me what you meant by more than meets the eye. I think that they... That that, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said more than meets rating, the eye. Even to- though there are rating impl- factors... To the cancellation, as you laid out, you know, John Stewart leaving, Stephen Colbert doing his thing on CBS, um, you know, uh, John Oliver, even though he's not in the same time slot, but he gets the kind of traction he gets on Sunday, um, all that good stuff. And sure, there is there, there, an argument could be made that the, the time slot Larry's in just did not move the way it would hope to and everything. But... I, I do feel that one, it's not it should not be entirely on Larry because it's it's Comedy Central and they can make things move because John Stewart was essentially a nobody coming into Comedy Central onto the Daily Show and everything, and they made that work. So they could have made Larry Wilmore work. Um you, I also feel that there's this arm's length relationship from the platform that Larry created, as well as um, Comedy Central and everything, because Larry Wilmore is probably one of the strongest black voices that we have in entertainment. Um, you know, he's the executive producer for Blackish, which is on ABC. Which is doing very well. He was one of the writers and the producers for the Bernie Mac show, which was also successful. Um, you know, as as we know, he was the black corresp- the black senior correspondent, but also the writer for the Daily Show under John Stewart and everything. Um, he's written and produced many many shows. Some of them were not as successful as like Bernie Mac or Blackish's in Daily Show, but. He still has. He still created this platform to have the kind of strong black voice that needs to happen, as well as having a certain intersectional voice as well when it comes to um, women's issues, when it comes to um, economic justice issues, et cetera, et cetera. He created that. He created a void that Colbert really didn't do because Colbert created a persona and created his own little platform with that. Larry comes in, and he went a different direction and wants to actually have <clears throat> a real conversation, keeping it 100, as it were, and actually addressing issues and everything and try to have, excuse me, develop a, um, a talent crew that can also speak to what Larry is providing everything. Mike Yard did a good job with that. Um, Robin Theod did a good job of that. Holly did a good job of that. And so you he's doing all this, and all of a sudden, 
they're saying, well, social media metrics says it's not gaining anything. Ratings are poor and everything. And I think it's and I think it's just more than that. I think that Comedy Central and Viacom is just not comfortable having a strong male black voice on cable network and especially the way he you know made certain statements at the correspondence dinner and do you think that played a factor the correspondence I think it did. dinner I really think it did interesting I really think I think that is one of them amongst other things I, as I laid out and everything um, so no I don't think it's because he's black and that's like the only thing because I don't think it's just that I think it's because of, he is a very strong um, he, has, he has a strong black voice and the and the um, perspective he has presented himself with is something that we don't see all the time on networks, television, and everything. Um, and someone made an argument. Someone, you know, messaged me saying, "Well, that's what BET is for." I'm like, "But BET is not black owned. BET is with white writers." Don't can I ask you a question as the as the what? As the liberal that you are, and and the and the the mover that you are with this stuff, does the, the BET thing? Whenever some asshole, and I actually, my dad, and I, I feel bad after saying some, but like, whenever somebody, and my dad does this, a bunch of other people I know do this. Go, why isn't there white entertainment television or something along those lines? Does that bother you as much as it bothers it me? It does because it, it really shows the ignorance that people don't understand. About BET, sure. I mean, it was supposed to be uh, a platform and a vehicle to generate, um, I, I guess one would call black entertainment. But again, it's white-owned. You have white writers telling young, creative black entertainers on what their experience is. And so, how's that? So, how's it black entertainment where there's no real black voice behind it well not to mention the fact that whenever anybody drops that my my go-to line is well people would be offended if there was a white entertainment television i would always just turn and go there is white entertainment television it's called cbs and nbc and cbs yeah but mainly cbs (laughs) mainly cbs i mean the other ones have have shows that at least have black characters on them you know Go ahead I mean, and really I mean, look at CBS's primetime lineup. I mean, you have Malcolm Jamal Warner and Eddie Griffith had a show on BET. No, they didn't. Both, no, they didn't. Both of them. No, they didn't. Their show was on UPN. Well, it was on UPN, but it was supposed to be on Black and it was supposed to be on BET. Yeah. Because when they went to BET, they went to the they want they want to do the show what <clears throat> which was on UPN, but you had a white network. That's called BET, essentially telling them that it's not going to fly. And they were also addressing, you know, like black issues on their show as well. They did this fabulous Martin Luther King episode, which I still watch from time to time when I can get it. And talking about, you know, they're in jail and they're in jail with two other black men who are in jail. And it was like this internal fight on who's blacker than the other and it's like it doesn't matter if you know what the street value of food stamps in or if you may or may not know who rosa parks is the the bottom line is this 
that we both are struggling and everything. That's just one example of them writing a show versus, you know, the kind of show that we we tend to see on BET, but more the point of Larry Wilmore. I mean, he has creative license over that show, and everything that he has presented, you know, Trevor's not doing that with Daily Show and everything. Um, he, he, he dresses issues, and he does a good job of presenting them the way that Trevor Noah can present it as. Um, but until Larry Wilmore has an HBO show like John Oliver, um, he's just not going to be on a network that is going to incubate the kind of ideas or voices that he has presented um, these last few episodes that he had on Comedy Central. I, I there's I thinking about it the way that you're putting it. That it's an interesting idea. Uh, I do think though that there is also truth to what they were saying about ratings and social media following. And the best example I can give you is, um, I'm pretty big on YouTube, but I'm, I don't mean like I'm, but I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube. And they have that recommended videos for you thing. Mm-hmm. And every day when I would wake up, uh, Monday through Friday and on Saturday, it would give me, you know, Daily Show, Full Frontal with Sam B, the Seth Meyers Show, Colbert Show, Kimmel Show. Thank God I don't get a lot of things for Fallon because I'm not the biggest fan of The Tonight Show. But as as time went on, I started to, like, I had to go out of my way to find Larry Wilmore stuff. Now, that's not to say that the stuff wasn't posted, but it just wasn't going viral. I don't know how much of it is the issues that he was talking about, or if it just... First of all, I felt that from the very beginning of his show, it was very awkward at first. You could tell they were trying different things. I think that that panel discussion that they were doing at the end with the Keep It 100 thing uh, never really worked the way that they wanted it to. And I think going forward from that point... The show never really managed to hit its traction. And I thought him doing the correspondence dinner would help. Turned out that with him dropping the N-word to the president was apparently not the way to go. And things from that point on, just it, it never, even from before that, it never felt like that show really got the, the media attention that it deserved. It was the kind of thing where it had the Daily Show lead in. But once... John Stewart's fans, and a lot of them have, left The Daily Show and started looking for other things like that. And a lot of them, I've found out, have gone to Sam B. And a lot of them are now with, Col- you know, watch Colbert at 1030. It's, it's really become an issue where, I mean, look, I do think that the biggest issue is normally in this scenario, when somebody would be taking over a show from a formerly successful host, they're going to get to keep at least a portion of that show's audience. But it's very rare that somebody leaves the show, starts a new show in direct competition to their old time slot, right? So if you want to watch Colbert and you were a fan of the Colbert Rapport, all you've got to do is switch over to CVS and, and you're good. And you basically get your, old, your, your, your favorite guy back. Which means that there's not a lot of inclination for you to go watch Larry Wilmore. And then if you start talking about DVR numbers, they were saying they were tracking that. It wasn't getting recorded. It wasn't getting a lot of traction on YouTube. You can see that just from the view numbers of the videos. Um, I also think that that gave them 
and there is, and I agree with you that they they also probably were maybe looking for a way out to begin with. I don't think that any network right now, including Comedy Central, is comfortable with two black men anchoring their two most important shows. Because think about it, that's what's happening. You've got Trevor Noah on at 10, and then you've got Larry Wilmore on at 10.30. Rumor is the next person to get that time slot is going to be Jordan Klepper, uh, who's currently on The Daily Show. So I don't know, but I just, I feel, I will say the one thing, though, is I, I feel, I don't feel bad for Larry Wilmore. He's got, he's doing fine financially. Uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's an executive producer on Blackish, which is doing great numbers. Uh, you mentioned, I think you said he was on Malcolm and Eddie. He was a writer on that. Um he, he's done some really cool work. I'm not real super worried about him. It's the other writers on the show because apparently right. he went out of his way to hire minority stand-ups, minority writers, female writers who weren't getting a look at anywhere else. And those are the ones I feel bad for. Well, yeah. I mean, you had like Mike Yard who, you know, he did well for himself prior to Larry Wilmore's show and everything, especially as a stand-up comic and everything. Um it, but he, but this is the first time we get to see him, you know, on a mass communications level <clears throat> um, is Mike and Carlos and Ricky and Robin and Holly and um, Rob um, and Francesca, who Francesca, who just came on the show, was an Internet star on her own because she created these um, brief little YouTube videos where the first one I remember was she was um, saying what white girls say about black girls. And it's like a, the most funniest thing ever, you know. Um, like, is your hair natural? You know, and she would talk like in a, in a white woman voice when doing it and everything. Um, and then she came on, you know, Larry's show and everything. My first... Um, inclination that Larry's show may not go so well is when they started advertising it as the minority report at first well that wasn't that had nothing to do with race you know that right that was a business decision well that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying the original show was supposed to be the minority report and then you know through Focus groups or whatever. No, they, no, AJ, 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 no, no, AJ, 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 AJ. That's not what happened. That's not what I meant. Here's what happened. It was going to be called the Minority Report with Larry Wilmore, which made total sense. And then Fox announced that they were starting a network drama based on the Spielberg movie called Minority Report. So you couldn't, and they had filed the trademark first. That's what happened. That's why it wasn't called the Minority Report with Larry Wilmore. Wow. They, they legally were not allowed to do it because Fox had already owned the trademark. That's why that happened. And Comedy Central couldn't jump right on that before Fox did it? Well, they didn't know that they were doing it at first. That's literally, like, it was one of those things, like, they filed for it and then got told that Fox already, it was like they, they both came up with it. The, like, they're, they're two very different shows, but they, they came up with it. It was going into, I guess, at this point, it would have been the 2014 uh, television season. And it was just all this stuff was happening at, at once, and then Fox owned the rights to the movie and all this other stuff. So just legally, legally, Comedy Central could not call the show The Minority Report. And, they well, also- and, the, and the other thing that you were talking about, how you know they couldn't stick with uh, keeping a 100, I mean, there was parts of that that was kind of shaky because I think it was a good um, uh, feature 
that they were doing because it was the first time to address something, but you could also tell that Larry wanted to do something he wanted to see, but the network or someone in Comedy Central saying, you know, there's a line, and we have to maintain that line. So I'm sure there was moments where Larry really wanted to ask said politician, said actor, said whomever, but he couldn't cross a line that Larry really wanted to ask. Um, and there were some of them that, you know, that, that were put out there and, uh, you know, it, it was, it was not only just entertaining, but, you know, it's, oh shit, he asked that question. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's, like I said, I think there's more than meets the eye than just, um, social media metrics and ratings and everything. Cause again, y- you can make nothing out of something really quickly um, especially the kind of network one is and everything. Because like I said, I mean, even though Jon Stewart was on remote control at MTV, he did other things, um, but really no one knew of him when he came on The Daily Show when Craig, um, what's his nuts, Ferguson? No. Kilmore. Craig. Fillmore, thank you. Yeah, um, Craig Kilmore went to do the show after Letterman. Right, so... Uh, when he bombed Daily Show, uh, and then they brought John Stewart in, I mean, again, they made something out of him, you know. And Daily Show is now what we know and love today. But um, how much do you do you follow the business of tele? Like, all right, so I'm gonna give me a second here. I'll explain why, why how I'm setting this up. Uh, I'm a big Star Trek fan. If you listen to the show, chances are you're aware of that fact. Uh, Star Trek is a, is a cool thing, not just from a science fiction or philosophy or any of that stuff. Being a fan of Star Trek has actually led me into the ideas of what goes into making a successful television show. And when it comes to modern day television, this is what I've, I, I watch a lot of documentaries, honestly, about the making of Star Trek and on the making of other television shows. And what they say is this. If you interview Jerry Seinfeld, when you see a Jerry Seinfeld interview, they talk about the early days of Seinfeld. The show was not a hit its first two years. Mm-hmm. But back then, 20 years ago, and this also applied when Jon Stewart took over The Daily Show from Kilbourne, networks were more willing to give a show an opportunity to grow its audience. Okay? Right. So Jon Stewart's first two years on The Daily Show, people say like he almost got canceled a few times. But because they didn't really have anything lined up after it, and the, the it was doing just well enough to stay alive, and they were willing to give it a shot, and then they hit the 2000 election, and everything ramped up. That was something that they were willing to do at that point. I think what happened, and that happens a lot, they talk about how on Star Trek The Next Generation... The first two years of that show, it got next to nothing ratings. But Paramount didn't really care that much. It wasn't costing that much money, so they let them do a third season. You get the best of both worlds. Then it becomes Star Trek The Next Generation, a phenomenon, and that's where things start to take off. But it took a couple years. Cheers, most famously, was the lowest-rated show in its time slot for three years and then became, by the time it ended, the number one show on television. The days of that happening, Even there's even a more recent example where Breaking Bad, the network had the balls to stick with it 
because they could see that what was happening was amazing and that people weren't just seeing it yet. And then you get to the end of Breaking Bad plus the digital download market and the thing becomes, you know, a cultural phenomenon. I don't think that networks are really willing to do that, especially on a show that is shot daily and is required on the news. I just don't think that they were willing to wait. I also think that they were expecting a much bigger ratings boost because of the election. And when he didn't get it, the network was like, well, we need to bail out of this now before we keep throwing good money after bad. But I think, but I, I have to say that I think it's slightly apples and oranges because the, the examples that you're talking about are TV shows. Larry Wilmore, not TV show. Well, it's still on TV, though. It's on TV, but it's not. It's not a you drama. Don't have, like, yeah, it's episode not a, one. Episode one, the plot. Episode two. No, you know, that's Larry true. Goes in the market. Episode three. Larry's going to do this. You know, it's not that. You know, Larry Wilmore, The Daily Show, is its own broadcasting entertainment show and everything. I mean, that's that's what the difference is. You know, it is a daily show that's aired Monday through Thursday and everything. And they're in a very unique platform to do the kind of thing that they're doing everything. Unlike Breaking Bad, Star Trek, Cheers, those examples shows, those are different. You actually have to, because that's creative fiction stories, all right? This is nonfiction stories is what is being presented here and everything. So you have to present it in a certain way and you have it's going to be an experiment as you said the first two years and everything and they didn't even give larry that right now Hmm. because i mean you have to incubate a show like star trek cheers seinfeld even the cosby show even um Name show. We're talking I about mean, Wilmore. You mentioned you Cosby. So it's wait, wait, AJ, I got to stop you. We're talking about the Wilmore. You mentioned Cosby. And I guess we're under obligation to go, that's right, motherfucker. I still haven't right? forgotten about you. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Sorry, continue. No, and that's, and that's, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, those shows have to be like incubated in everything because you're developing a story. And if the, if, if the audience is not. You know, is is kind of fading away and changing the channel to something else. Then they lost interest in that fiction story. Whereas Daily Show, um, even last week tonight, um, Wilmore Show. You know, these are nonfiction story shows. You know, they so they have to keep engaging everything. So uh, even though there may be a little bit of social media metric and ratings that may play in part of it. But you can still, you know, feed the very project that's going on to see if the year is still benefiting the network and everything, you know. Because as I said, that Jon Stewart, when he did a daily show, you know, it, it was very murky waters and that was very tread lightly and everything. And I remember network saying, you know, we don't know if it's going to be. If it's gonna be canceled or not, even John Stewart made light of it. He goes, "We don't know if we're gonna be here next year." <laughs> in everything. Well, he used to say next week, right? I mean, and it, but again, it was also a different time. You you had less competition. I don't know. It, it does. I 
It sucks that he's getting canceled. It is. It I is. understand I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, and I understand. I understand why they're doing it. Um, there is an argument to be made of the stuff that you're saying, but also his ratings weren't good enough. If you're going to be the show that's going to push the envelope the way that you're saying, then you need to have the ratings to back it up because that's the only security blanket that you have. So if you're not going to be super popular, then you've got to acquiesce to the network's request. And if I'm sure we'll find out in the next six months what really caused it. Maybe it was a, a this drop in budget that he wasn't willing to take, time slot move, something. Or maybe they just want him to go to one night a week or something. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so you never know what actually was the final straw, but... It, it sucks that he's getting canceled. We're recording this on August 18th. Tonight is Larry Wilmore's last show. If you were ever a fan of his on The Daily Show, if you liked his show at all, do yourself a favor. Do him the favor. Check it out. Um, if he gets a big boost on his last show, you know maybe it helps where he goes to next. I think that you're right. I think he's going to go to HBO and almost do what he's done here, which is immediately follow John Oliver with a half an hour show after him, focusing on race issues. But who knows? He might just go and be a writer somewhere. So that's what he does best. I mean, like I said, I mean, the Bernie Mac show was, what, eight seasons? And awesome. You know what I'm saying? Um, Blackish is going to its second season. Third. Third. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, and those are two good shows and entertaining. And, you know, you can tell Larry's writing when you watch both those shows. Yes, you can. And they're usually the episodes that involve the... Most conversations about race. All right. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see this, but I want to get to this before we get out of here. I just saw this story come across. Read it. It was published at 11 o'clock this morning on Bloomberg.com. And I've good got great news for you, AJ, because something that Bernie Sanders and the Socialist Party and a lot of left-wing organizations have been fighting for finally happened. Are you ready? Can I make your day? If Is, is it about naked Trump statue? No, it is not. It's better than oh. that, actually. Here we go. The U.S. government halted a, again, this is from Bloomberg.com. The U.S. government halted a decade-long experiment to hire private companies to help manage the soaring prison population, sending shares of facility operators, Corrections Corp of America, and GEO Incorporated plunging. The Federal Bureau of Prisons will phase out the use of privately operated prisons with the goal of ultimately ending all contracts with them, according to an order today from Deputy Attorney General Shelley Yates. Private prisons simply do not provide the same level of correctional services, program, and resources and do not have the sustainability on cost and that there's less need for such such facilities as the federal prison population declines so the federal prison operation the federal prison system will no longer have any dealings with private companies this is a big deal this is a huge win for the good guys and you're part of the good guys so i wanted to be the one to share that story with you no i i I heard that across the wire um who I heard, I heard from Mother Jones first, and I want to hear from someone else. Then Guardian picked it up in the UK. Um, I didn't hear from Bloomberg though. Um, well, they're just focusing on the stock because right. That's what so. Um, no, I, I, I have um, been following this and everything, and um, no, it's it's a win. It, it surely is a win, and you know we have to celebrate this win and everything. Um, and, I, and I say that win with slight hesitation, only because. Um, I, I really don't know what this means in so far that, um, sure, we may not have to see private prisons anymore because you have companies like GEO. Well, no, 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 no. It doesn't mean that we're out of private prisons completely because the states still have private prisons and they're going to still be around well, the country. But that's the thing. You have two major companies, which is GEO and CCA. And 
they're the ones, especially CCA, um, uh, corporate Correctional Corporation of America, I do believe, and they're the ones who actually have like immigration prisons in the South primarily. Um, and luckily, Illinois doesn't have a private prison. Um, that's never been on my radar, at least, and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be a win, and I think this is, um, you know, stop using them and everything. But I, I still feel there's still going to be other services that GEO and CCA um, still provides. Um, they still provide um, food services for prisons. They still um, outsource staff. They still, I mean, they still they do other things besides prisons. I mean. Hey, buddy, 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 this is the problem sometimes I have with having very liberal friends who fight the good fight. Obviously, this is not a fight that's over, but you won this battle, dude. We did. So take a second and and be happy. This is the problem with liberals. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to have a drink about this. Don't get me wrong, but it's a win. We still need to. God damn it. I know that. Okay. This is the thing, though. If you're not going to celebrate the wins when they come, you, you, you're, you're going to get disencharted. So I'm, as your friend, I am telling you, yes, everyone can acknowledge that there's a long way to go. But is it, isn't it nice to have the first step out of the way? Where the it federal is, but gov- I'm also following oh, what a great fictional president once said. What's next? Son of a bitch. You used Martin Sheen for evil. <laughs> it's not evil. It's, it's 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 the reality of it. You. All right, AJ. Well, we did open mic and say things, and you've managed to discourage me. I told you that I'd be willing to let people die for the Cubs. We talked about Larry Wilmore. We got into everything else. Um, do you even want to spend ten minutes on Jackass Von Hairpiece, or do you want to just end this today and we'll get back to him next week? So let's talk about. Here's the one thing about that Trump. I don't want to talk about Trump. What's his name? Huh? What's his name? Drumpf? No, Jackass Von Hairpiece? That too. But let's talk about his minions for a moment. Ooh, his little puppets dancing his little yes. puppet stage? Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> I, this is what bothers me <laughs> when, I'm wa- when I'm watching people like Katrina Pearson, Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort... Katrina um, Pearson you know, has no soul. Who? Katrina Pearson has no soul. That's why she's the spokesgoblin for... I have never <laughs> seen someone spew so much bullshit that there is no possible way that you can believe. You and, know she ran for center once, right? Yeah, and lost. And, and lost. And she and and um, Cruz endorsed her. Yeah. No, I'm aware. Um... I'm aware of these things. I just, I've never seen someone just blatantly lie on television like that before. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you have these henchmen, and they, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm really hoping to after the election's over with, you know, do this um, teaching of what a good, good pain, good campaign looks like, and what a horrible campaign looks like. Uh, <laughs> I mean, did you see the one with Michael Cohen, who was like on CNN, and was like pretty much being an asshole? 
No, I didn't see this one in particular. No, I mean, but go ahead. So he's on CNN and um, can't think of her name, but she was filling in for Wolf Blitzer. Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> and you know, they're, they're talking about the shakeup and everything and, and what have you. And, and Michael Cohen is deflecting that it's not a shakeup and da 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 da. And she asked the question on polls, you know. So let's talk about you guys are losing, um, losing. He goes, he goes, where? And she goes, polls, where? Yeah. Where are we losing? Yeah, I saw that. I saw. I I, I saw the story. I didn't read it, but I saw the the headline. So and so he literally just they they went. You're losing in the polls, and he said where? Yeah, like, like, well, she was she was responding, and and he was yelling over top of her when she said polls. So he didn't hear it, you know. So this whole time he goes where, where, and she goes polls. Where all of them, <laughs> most of them, all of them. <laughs> Yeah, no. They, and it's, it's like I mean, if you, I mean, this is a good example when <clears throat> you are running your campaign like a business because it, it can't work like that. And when you bring in people like Michael Cohen, Kurtina Pearson, who obviously is just a good mouthpiece because she just does nothing but deflects questions, and she does an excellent job of staying on message and everything. And when you start saying things like, well, the CEO of the Trump campaign, who's the Breitbart CEO, it's like, do you not understand why this is wrong? <laughs> do you not understand how this is not a good thing? The best example so far, honestly, go I think goes to, as far as people who you've seen out there supporting Trump, there's one person who I recognize other than Chris Christie, and I'm actually, I've never been more disappointed in a Republican than this guy. Uh, do you watch Real Time with Bill Maher? Every now and then. Have you seen Jack Kingston on that He's show? He's never fighting lately, so. Okay. But have you seen Jack Kingston on his show? No, but I heard right. that was a doozy. Well, no, Jack Kingston's on his show probably once a month. He's one of the Republicans who always is willing to appear, yeah. which to me... That actually takes a lot of balls to be the Republican on Bill Maher's show because he's going to rip you apart, and there's not a lot you can do to stop it, and you're still willing to go. I mean, and that and, and defend your position because you think you're right. Jack Kingston is one of those dudes, and on that show, he's always come off to me as a reasonable guy who's just defending his position, maybe to the detriment of like believability, but he always did a fairly good job. He is one of Trump's surrogates. He's going out there every day, and he's doing the same like, and be, and he does the same thing that because it's the only possible reaction if you're one of Trump's surrogates is to immediately flip it and turn it around and make it Hillary Clinton's fault. That is your only move right now because you can't defend the position. Obama is the founder of ISIS. And then a reporter goes, you mean that he left the power void? He goes, no, he's the founder of ISIS. That's what I mean. And the man who's running doesn't understand why that's a stupid thing to say. And then the people who are behind him, the Daily Show did a great job, have to defend an impossible-to-defend position. And then you've got Katrina Pearson, who just goes on there, and she'll get asked a direct question. How will Mr. Trump deal with the economic inequality in the world? Well, I think that that question is more important because do you really want another eight years of Obama administration continuing to create this divide? He said, okay. But what is Mr. Trump going to do? Much better things than Hillary Clinton will ever do. Like that kind of shit. And it just gets to a point where you're going, 
No one in this campaign believes in it. Not even the guy at the top of the ticket, apparently. So I don't know what the hell is going on. I just know that here's the thing and why we need to talk about a little bit about this, and then we'll end the show. You know what happened yesterday, right? What was the most important thing to happen in the campaign yesterday? You're talking, well, uh, hopefully you're going to talk about Giuliani. No. I mean, I, I wasn't going to talk. I was going to talk about the fact that Donald Trump yesterday received his classified security briefing. I did no, I did um, catch that, and I was kind of su- surprised by that. Well, it's a, it's a tradition. It's a tradition that goes back, I think, fifty years. It goes back to when I think Eisenhower was running, right. and it literally is that if you're one of the top candidates for the president of the United States, they begin to give you security briefings so that you don't come to it cold if you win. Which means Donald Trump, as of yesterday, is now in possession of classified government information. I don't know how what the, what's in it. It's classified. But he has that information. We have just hit 24 hours since he known it. I've got another 12 hours to win the office pool because I put it at 36 before he would say something stupid that relates to the stuff he said that is borderline illegal for him violating classification laws. Well, which he might. And, 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 I, and I always get hesitant when... That happens because you, when you have a candidate like Trump who can now have access to national security information, and obviously he can't make decisions, he can't advise, but it's still this known understanding that he has information that none of us are privy to. He has information, and if it's information like this tactical maneuver happened in Syria. Here's what we're going to do now with ISIL in this region of Turkey. Um, even things like that just scares me. That he knows this information. And, you know, Trump being Trump, uh, we don't know if he's going to creatively express, you know, we should be doing this and all that, or you know, if he loses and, you know, writes a tell-all book, like, oh, I remember I received this information. This is how I should have ran it when I, when I was pre- – <clears throat> if I should have been president and everything. That's what scares me too. That is not so much he has information, but as you said, what he's going to do with it and everything. And if we can talk for a moment that how did Giuliani forget the eight years – yeah. While he was mayor of New York City and he didn't know that two buildings were blasted by two airplanes and that was under who? Yeah. Who was the president, Nick? Uh, that that would be George A. Uh, George W. Bush. Eisenhower? Yeah, no. Uh, but, look, this is one of what? those... Who was it? Uh, okay, but come on, man. Like, come on what? You know what he meant. No. What did he mean? Tell me what he meant. What he meant was that there was no attacks on American soil after 9-11 when Bush was president. And that was true. The issue with his argument is that it implies that any of these shootings that have taken place in America that have claimed to be parts of ISIS are actually parts of ISIS. Because as you and I have talked about on this show and has been talked about in the media a lot, just saying... I did this for ISIS. Okay, but did you ever talk to anybody from ISIS? No. Did they know you were going to do this? No. So you're doing this because you wanted to do it and you have a convenient person to say. 
that's the problem with his argument. Not to mention that it's just, look, I'm with you. It sounded incredibly stupid, especially since the only reason Rudy Giuliani is being interviewed on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News is because he was mayor of New York when 9-11 happened. But he also said it after he made that statement on Fox News. Yeah, but that's okay. He reinforced the fact that he was correct that it's because of Clinton and Obama that this is happening and everything. And it's like, so we're soon forgetting that under Bush you still had an attack and everything? Yeah, an intelligence failure of massive proportions. I mean, that's what gets me. I mean, even though he may not have implied that under Bush's administration that nothing happened, he may not implied that and everything, but it is still inferred that what he said, that 9-11 didn't, did not happen under anyone's watch, and it was Clinton, Hillary, and President Obama are the only two people that are creating the disaster that we have right now. Yeah. I, 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 I've struggled lately with just the... I, I, I've really... Okay, so we haven't really gotten a chance to talk to you about it yet, and I was going to bring it up to you later off the air, but I really want to do a show where we focus... Now that we're here. Well, no, but I, I really do want to focus um, a show in the future before the election on the Hillary Clinton scandal... Uh, claims and the illegal stuff claims because uh, I've spent a couple days now kind of like how we were doing for Alex Jones looking into Hillary Clinton and I'm not really finding anything that backs up this all these claims about her and I'm curious to get your perspective on it but there is something going on with the media lately where it's just you know you, you know what Rudy Giuliani really meant and yeah it's funny that I mean, it's funny in like not haha funny but in an awkward way that this is what he decided to say that there was no attack in the 8 years before Obama whatever I feel that most people knew what he was trying to say I don't really care what Rudy Giuliani has to say I care about the fact that Donald Trump has classified information and is going to blurt it out at some point in a campaign speech and we're looking at an election season right now that is just the most asinine group of people running a campaign that I have ever seen in my life. From the top down, the Donald Trump campaign apparently does not want to be president because it's coming to the point where that's the only explanation for their behavior. No, and as much as we want to joke about it, I think it really is this notion that... Um, Trump doesn't want to be president, and it's it's because of the people who surround him and the way he's conducting his campaign and everything. But I will be the first to say the day after the election that if he does become president, that I'm just going to tell people that they're morons for electing a guy who whose campaign was nothing more than a bad business plan and that business plan is now going to be implemented in the most national way possible. Doesn't it bother you at all that the people who support him because he's such a great businessman, like you said earlier, can't look at this and go, if if he's a businessman, this is how he conducts business. Why does this not disqualify him? 
he is a terrible manager. Look well, it's at not his- even that. It's when I tell people that he's even a bad business person. I, I still get this look at. I just still, I get this look from people as if like I'm wrong. Yeah, and it's like it's like. You don't understand. I'm like, you don't understand. You're the janitor who's making seven twenty five an hour, and he's making, you know, a hundred times that, ten thousand times that. You know what I'm saying? Well, no, it's like, how, how? What do you know about good business? And I'm not equating, you know, a certain skill over intelligence. I'm saying that how do you know what what he's doing is right or wrong? Because you don't work for him. Yeah. You, you don't study him. You don't study. Well, I presume is that you don't study um, business or certain things in business and everything, but you're going to sit there and tell me that Trump is a good business person because of your thought? Yeah, and that any person – well, to me, it comes down to this. If you – this is kind of how I felt when I was – I just mentioned talking about the Hillary thing. You hear stuff all the time. Um, about Hillary, even about Trump. Uh, we did this about Alex Jones. Okay, go away from the rhetoric of what you're told on television. Spend an hour, two hours, three hours, however long it interests you. Go online, go to Google, and type in stuff like Trump actual net worth. And watch what happens. And you will see on major reporting sites... Not worth this amount of money. Not worth this amount of money. Says he's worth $10 billion. At best is worth four point five. At the lowest is worth $350 million. Like, you can go through and find this stuff. Look up Trump bankrupts small businesses. Trump refuses to pay small businesses. Trump declares, Trump declares bankruptcy to make more money. You can find this stuff. It is available to you everywhere. And the people who talk to me about what a great businessman he is, I go, have you spent any time looking into it? No, but he's rich. That means he's successful. And I said, if that's your definition of what a successful businessman is, then we have very different ideas. Because there are a lot of people who can make it rich doing horrible shit. That doesn't make them a good businessman. Well, it's the thing. If, 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 and when people do say that like to me that he's rich, and it's like, so how come we didn't draft Steve Jobs? To be president, how come we're not putting Bill Gates in as president? How come why we're not putting Steve, Oprah in as president? How why come, didn't Steve Forbes win the nomination in two thousand? What? Why didn't Steve Forbes win the nomination in the year two thousand? Right, you know, because business has nothing to do with government. Whether or not people want to acknowledge that or not is different. Uh, before I get out of here for the day, I do want to make a comparison to Donald Trump. I just came to this in my brain, and I think you'll like it. Do you know what species Donald Trump is? A lizard man? Nope. He's a Ferengi. A Ferengi? You like it? Ferengi. Ferengi. Do you remember what a Ferengi is? I'm trying to. It's, it's, it's coming from, to my mind. It's from Star Trek. It's Quark. Oh, yes. The prophets, you think so? The prophet-seeking orange-haired people who live their lives according to the rules of acquisition. Yeah, I think that's Donald Trump. I think I'm more as a Sleazak, though. Sleazak? What's is that? Sleazak from Land of the Lost? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's a Ferengi. He just needs that glowing blue whip. (laughs) He probably does. All right, man, we've been doing this for an hour and 15 minutes. You got anything else you want to plug, say, or get into? Do you want to uh, talk about Mimi, uh, Solstick, or whatever before we get out of here for the day? Uh, No, that's the thing. It's like, um, for those who follow me on Facebook, uh, 
you know, the elections are coming up or two months away, and um, there's this big call for open debates, presidential debates and everything. It's it's very, very important to have more than just um, Trump and Clinton. You know, you have Mimi Solstic uh, with Social Party USA. You have Jill Stein with the Green Party. You have Gary Johnson with the Libertarian Party. Um, those three people need to be on the same stage with Hillary and um, Trump and everything. So look for um, an online petition to open the debates up because, as I said on my, on my show Firebrand as well as on this show, um, we have a, a commission of debates that are controlled by Republicans and Democrats, and we need to get rid of the erroneous 15% threshold that one needs and you know they pick and choose what poll on um, polls media polls they can decide from and everything we need to have more debates we need to have more open ideas we need to have other perspectives than just the um republicans and the democrats so um so yeah look for it soon all right. Uh, the other thing I want to add before we get out of here for the day, uh, we are the Chicago Podcast Network, and we didn't get to, we didn't talk about it today. Um, seven officers were fired by the Chicago Police Department or resigned. Um, this is all following the shooting of Laquan McDonald and the release of the videos and the Justice Department report that came out afterwards. We're aware of it. We didn't talk about it. I didn't bring it up because there's not a lot of information beyond the fact that they had resigned or. Uh, been fired so we will probably deal with that next week if not the week after after depending on the follow-out where we are a chicago organization we'll get to it also there'll be more stuff about the trump and we'll get into hillary uh, other than that i want to thank everybody for listening uh please email email us on gmail chicago podcast network at gmail.com find us on twitter shy town podcast one <coughs> excuse me find us on facebook chicago podcast network those are the propers this has been Out Front. I'm Nick Sorantos. AJ, say goodbye to the people. Bye, people. And that's how we end the show. We out! It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network. <laughs>